today's scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, um, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the reading of God's word. Paul and Susan, if you don't already know, uh, we're a family that uh, has been with Sojourner Church for since the beginning. Uh, in fact, uh, if many of you might already know, we probably wouldn't be able to have started without them as a family. And um, part of our vision or goal of, of the church is once we became a real church, uh, was to send and to support missionaries. And it was a big loss uh, for the church. Over the years now, I think they've been out there, what, like 10, 11 years, something like that. Um, the church has changed. The demographic has changed. The people have changed. And so we have some new faces and new members in the church that may not be familiar with who they are. And so this is for you. Um, this is to let, us, uh, let you know, let the church know that we do want to continue to support not only them, but also uh, mission work. And so um, as Paul comes up to give his word, they've been busy traveling around the country doing this. And so we are, I think, probably one of the last groups that he will be able to share with. Um, I'd like to think that he's saving the best for last. But, uh, but we'll see. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, let's welcome Paul as he comes up to share God's word today. Thank you. Um, it's wonderful to be here with you guys. And it is indeed the last church that we'll be uh, worshiping with um, and presenting with. So... Um, I don't know if it's the best, but it is the last. And I will be talking about missions. I guess I should, because that's supposedly what I'm doing, right? And I'm supposed to be some subject matter expert, uh, but honestly, I'm not. But I will share with you what I do know and what I've come to learn. And maybe I could just start with a reminder of what is uh, the call to missions? God has given the church a commission is to go out into the world and disciple the nations, right, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the command, and um, let me give you some data to see how we're doing with that. There are about 7,000 unreached people groups in the world that represent about over 3 billion people. So over about 40% of the world's population. A people group is a group of people that share a common language, common culture, and common ethnicity. An unreached people group is a people group that has not heard the gospel. And they have no access to the gospel. There's no 
um, church that can bring the gospel to them, and they need outside help. Um, these are people that aren't just lost. They don't have the opportunity to even hear the gospel. No church, no person to tell them. And 40% of the world is in this state. Every day, by the, by the end of today, tens of thousands of people will have died without ever having had the opportunity to hear the good news. A privilege that we, um, we experience every week. And we can even choose what church we go to, right? According to what our preferences are, what is convenient for us. Well, how, has, how have we as a country in the U.S., how has the church responded to this, to this data? For every million believers in the U.S., about 675 will go on long-term missions. And only about three missionaries from that 675 will go to an unreached people group. 672 of them will go to a country or a people that already have a church presence. In the U.S., for every $1,000 of income that a Christian has, they will give about $25 to the church. About 50 cents of that $25 will be used on global missions, and of that, one penny will be used on unreached people groups. This is the data. This is the reality that we face. And if we were to just look at it, I don't know if we would be doing too well. It seems impossible, it seems insurmountable, it seems grim and hopeless that we can actually bring the gospel to all the nations. And if this is all that we had, and if this is what we thought missions was, uh, then we failed. But the good news that the Bible brings to us the only reason why we can have hope is because missions does not depend on me. It does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on anybody except God alone. See, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need a single penny from any of us to bring the gospel to the nations. And this is what the story that we find throughout the Bible, but today, the story of the Tower of Babel, I think, can teach us. And that is that two things. One is that God's mission is his mission, and he's the Lord of the mission. He carries it out. But he gives us the privilege and blessing of participating in what he's doing. It's for our good. And he does it even when the people, his people, aren't on board or even disobedient. And the second thing is there is a beauty to God's mission. There's something compelling about God's mission, something that draws us and excites us, not because it's adventurous, but because it reflects a picture of the beauty of God himself. 
So I'm going to jump into it and go to uh, verse 1. And if you have your Bibles or if you have the scripture somewhere, uh, read with me. It says, now the whole earth had one language in the same words. The story takes place shortly after God uh, had the flood, the great flood, and saved Noah and his family from judgment. And so it's shortly after this hard reset, if you will. And during this time, everybody that survived, they spoke the same language. But not just the same language, the Bible goes further and says the same words, the same expressions, the same uh, vernacular. Right? I, I have um, a niece and nephew that uh, grew up, they were born and raised in London, right? And they speak the Queen's tongue, the proper British English, I guess. And when I talk to them and when they talk to me, I believe we're speaking the same language, but sometimes we don't understand each other because they use fancy words like cue and stuff like that. But here is not the case. Here, there were one language, one culture, one people group. And it just uh, highlights the fact that there was complete uniformity, complete sameness. There was no barriers to communication. They could understand each other perfectly, but it didn't mean that there was perfect utopia. There was trouble brewing. In verse 4, the people now say at Shinar, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You know, when I first read this uh, story, I thought that this was a story that kind of depicted the arrogance of people, the hubris, the pride, that they would dare to try to be like God, to reach the heavens, and God humbled them. But as we look more closely at the story and see their intentions and their motivations, I think there's a different motivation that's driving them. It's not pride. It's not arrogance but it's fear. See, um, in the ancient world, why did people build cities? These cities had walls. Why did they build towers? So that they could look into the distance and spot any dangers coming, any threats, right? any enemies. But why did the people at China build this city and tower? The reason they give is that so that they would not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They built the city and these walls and this tower not to keep enemies out, but to keep what they valued inside, to keep their sameness, to preserve what they had. They wanted to keep their language and their culture and their name. They wanted to maintain their uniformity and sameness. Because what would happen if they went out into the world if they experienced different climates, different geographies, animals, foods, plants, new languages would form, new cultures would form, and new people groups would be born. But they didn't want that. They wanted to keep what they had safely inside. And this is the tension in the story. What's wrong with this? Is that particularly evil? 
Well, if we go back to chapter 9, verse 1, God saves Noah and his family, and he gives them a command. He tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, the problem was that the people of Shinar were going against the mission of God. What God desired was that they would fill the earth, that they would leave their cities, that they'd leave the safety of their walls and be dispersed throughout the world and that there would be new people groups being formed throughout all of creation. So how does God respond to this disobedience? He comes down and he sees what the people are doing and it says in verse 6, Behold, they are one people, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose will now be impossible for them. See, God sees this, and he acts in verse 7 through 9. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. See, it's interesting that God doesn't just punish them. Because that's not God's point in this story. He's not being punitive when he does this. But he's continuing his mission to create diversity of peoples throughout the earth. See, what does he do first and foremost? He confuses their language. What that means is that he's actually creating new languages right then and there. And in creating new languages, he disperses them throughout the earth. See, God's mission cannot be compromised. It can't be stopped, even by disobedient people. What God shows here is that Nothing stops his mission. He is the Lord of the mission. He is sovereign. God is in control, and he will not stop until his mission is fulfilled. He's not dependent on people. In Cambodia, um, 1975 to 1979, there was a regime called the Pol Pot regime. And they held to this agrarian communism. Any threat to that communism, they destroyed. They killed about half the population of the country. It was 8 million people at the time. 4 million people were destroyed. The church, the nascent church, was not spared either. 90% of the church was destroyed. That means... For every 10 of us here, nine people were killed. For every 10 churches in our area, nine would have been destroyed. You would think that that would be hard to come back from, impossible. But if you go to Cambodia today, the church is thriving. There are new churches being planted. People are coming to Christ. And for the pastors and the Cambodian Christians, a generation removed, all they see is that God is sovereign, God is in control, nothing can stop him. 
if we understand this, if we believe that God is indeed the Lord of the mission, missions then is no longer daunting or overwhelming, but there is a hope, there's an expectancy on God himself. And I think we can respond in three ways. First, I think we can pray. I think the first thing we have to do is to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray that he would call people to the field and join in the work of God. Pray that he would call even from this church or whatever church you're from, missionaries that would want to bless the families of the earth. Pray that churches would be established in these countries that have no church, that there would be worship of our true God. Second is partner. In, in, um, in this current milieu that we have, you know, nothing seems certain. No investment seems safe. But I can guarantee that there is an investment that will pay dividends because the guarantee, guarantor of this investment is God himself. If you give to missions, there will be a multiple invest, uh, profit in the church. And I can guarantee that because God is in control. You can give of your income, you can give of your time, you can give uh, uh, even going abroad and know that it will be fruitful for you and others because God is the one who will bring fruit from it. He will honor it. And finally, prepare. Prepare your own hearts. Consider learning about what God's doing in the world. Consider going on short-term missions or an internship or even long-term missions. And dare I say this, but even prepare your children that God may even call them to missions. And you can send them with expectancy that they will be blessed. Well, that's my first point. The second point is this, the beauty of God's mission. What does it look like uh, for God's mission to come to fruition? Why did God create all this diversity? Why did he send all these people from China to the ends of the earth to create all these people groups throughout the world right now? There are over 17,000 people groups in the world right now, and that's all from what God did at the Tower of Babel. And the reason why God commands Noah and his sons to fill the earth, the reason why God confuses the language of the people of Shinar is so that God can gather this full diversity of people, of languages and culture in worship. That's the goal of missions. We see this most clearly in Revelation. We start in Genesis, but we go all the way to the end of the, end of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me. Verse 9 in chapter 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Here we see before God a gathering of this great multitude, a diversity of people's languages and cultures. But what are they doing? Verse 10, Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation, Belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. We have a vision of the fulfillment of God's mission in history. We're presented with a picture of heavenly, eternal worship before the presence of God. And in this worship, there are brothers and sisters from every part of the earth, from all tribes and peoples, worshiping in different languages. And they look so different from us. They sound so different from us. And yet, we will be united in adoration and praise to our God. There, there's a beauty in God's mission. This end point of God's mission. It's like an orchestra with different instruments that weave together this beautiful, united melody. But in this orchestra, there are over 20,000 people groups, 20,000 different cultures and peoples and it's not going to sound dissonant at all. But it's just going to add to that praise, to that glory, more and more and more. Till it's perfect in revealing the glory of our God. This is the reason why God confused the language of the people of Shinar. It's because it's too small a thing for one people group to worship God. It's not enough. God's glory is too immense, too unfathomable to just have one people group, one language worshiping him. It requires all of creation singing to him. And why is this beautiful? The diversity of God's mission reflects God's nature and identity. God's mission is beautiful because it reflects who he is. See, God is diversity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons. But he's also unity. One God. Missions reflects who God is. The diversity of all these people united in worship. In fact, it's only a diverse worshiping community that can fully glorify him. And this is what invites us. This is what brings us into wanting to participate in God's mission. And this is what the story of Babel points to. Now I'm just going to end with this, just a reminder of the gospel, this final exhortation. God doesn't do missions from far away. He's not sitting in heaven just kind of orchestrating things as a puppeteer. We engage in missions because it's valuable to God. God valued missions so much that he did missions first by sending his son. God the Father called his son to missions. The son was dispersed from heaven to a foreign land. He left home and family and all the riches of heaven, born as a Galilean Jew, speaking a dialect of Aramaic, living in a Hellenistic culture. And he did this 
all the way to the cross in death to fulfill the promise of God, to fulfill the mission of God, so that through his work, every people group in the world has the hope of joining in that eternal worship. God the Father also called the Holy Spirit to be upon the church to give her strength and courage to go beyond the safety of her walls and her towers to go into the world and to be dispersed so that the nations can hear the good news of Christ. This is the gospel. God worked first. God moved first in his mission. And we have this opportunity to respond. Respond to that gospel, to respond to the call and see what God is doing throughout the world in his mission. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who is not far off, but that you are close to us in your spirit, the spirit of your son. We thank you that you give us this command not filled with hopelessness, but with great expectancy because you are the one who is moving. You are the one who is doing. And in fact, you invite us to see and to witness and to participate and in turn be blessed. We pray for the church, Sojourner and all the churches throughout the world. Would you give her strength Encourage that as they rely upon you, that they may be able to participate in that beauty and that they may all throughout depend completely on your sovereignty. Thank you and pray this in Jesus' name.